Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, political servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Professor Mark Casello, Reputation Partners Executive Nick Calm, Progressive Author Julia Klein, and Human Events Magazine, Brent Hamachuk. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Our program coming to you from the studios of WCGO in beautiful Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us this evening. Lots to talk about. Four great guests. And a little bit later on in the second hour tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, the decision by Governor Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas uh, to uh, come back to f- full activity down there. The masks are gone. Everything is going to be going. And we want to get reaction from people in Texas, whether they're happy with that. Obviously, the national news media is not happy with it. The Biden administration is not happy with it, referring to it as Neanderthal thinking. But again, we want to hear from the great state of Texas. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners uh, on two great radio stations out there. And so uh, we'll mention the number 1-800-723-8289. That's our, our primary discussion in hour number two this evening. But uh, we begin with four great guests. And I want to, <clears throat> there's so much to talk about. And a little bit later on, we will be talking about the problems of Andrew Cuomo. Uh, a fifth woman has now come forward. And uh, the, the uh, governor said this afternoon that he's not going to resign but uh, he, he, he might go if he's impeached, which I guess he doesn't have any choice if he's impeached and, and convicted. So we'll talk about that and the whole issue of sexual harassment, in, not only in the workplace, but in the, the political landscape of America as well. Uh, I want to begin with uh, the $1.9 trillion uh, uh, bill that was passed uh, uh, by the Senate last evening, a 5049. And by the way, we should mention that uh, obviously everybody knows that the Senate is tied. The one person who abstained was uh, Senator Sullivan of Alaska. Uh, Most of the reports did not mention who he was, but I'll name him. Uh, No political significance to it other than they didn't get to their 50 votes and the vice president did not get a chance to cast the deciding vote. Uh, Nick Com, you're the closest thing to a card-carrying Republican, although Brent may arm wrestle you for that title. My question to you is $1.9 trillion is a lot of money, but this, uh, this pandemic has caused great havoc in this country. Your reaction to it? Well, Bruce, thank you uh, for having me on again as well. Um, And really, it comes down to this. I mean, we the government basically moved heaven and earth to provide a rescue net during the height of the pandemic. And it was a very much needed one, even though it spiraled our national debt uh, out of control and Mm -hmm. deficit out of control. The question is now is why is something so large as this being rammed through just as the economy is beginning to show signs of recovery? Now, I get that there's people who are unemployed and they need some of that safety net, but the amount of this $1.9 trillion that is actually going to people in need is anywhere from eight or 9%. So I was concerned when we were spending like crazy government dollars during the pandemic. And now that we seem to be coming out of it to spend another 1.9 trillion, which is what more than twice as much as the, uh, the big stimulus under Barack Obama, I'm very concerned. Uh, Mark Casello, uh, College professor joins us. Mark, nice to have you with us. Uh, You are a progressive. You're very progressive. You like to throw money at a lot of things. Uh, In looking at this $1.9 trillion budget, do you think there's some things in there, if if you put your proctoscopic uh, eyeglasses on, 
do you think there's a lot of stuff in there that really does not belong in anything that would be described as a relief package for the American people? Well, I, I spent some time looking through the bill. It's about 678 pages in total. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the, the first thing I'd say is that the spending spread out over four to six years. So keep that in mind. It's not $1.9 trillion flowing in this year. But uh, certainly, if anybody looks through that bill, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of spending that's non-COVID related. Um, not necessarily direct relief. And, you know, as a progressive, I, I understand that. But there are also, uh, there's a lot of great initiatives in the bill looking at long-term effects of the pandemic uh, on mental health, on preparedness, on sh- strengthening our health care system in rural communities, assistance in agriculture to uh, farmers who are in dis- uh, economic distress. So there's quite a bit in there to be uh, happy about. Uh, Julia Klein also joins us. She is a, a progressive. Uh, let me ask the same question to you uh, and you know, couch it a little bit. Should the Democrats uh, have done or should they do a better job of explaining some of these, these smaller line items that uh, might mean a lot if individuals knew about them? Um, explaining to who? I don't know what your question is. Explain, 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 to-, explain to their voters. In other words, these are huge. When you say $46 billion uh, or, you know, $130 billion is going to go to schools and $350 billion are going to go to state, local and tribal governments. Do you think, I mean, those sound like big numbers, certainly to a conservative Republican. My question to you is, uh, there's lots of Democrats out there. They like this bill. Should the Democrats uh, do a better job of explaining where that $350 billion for state and local governments is going to go and what it's going to pay for. No, <laughs> no, there's no reason for that at all. You don't think the public has a right to know where the money's being spent? I mean, the public can read the bill if they want to know. Um, your question was, do Democrats need to do a better job of messaging? No, I think the be- Democrats are finally doing a good job of messaging. Um, they are, they're, they're just getting out there that this is going to help people, that this is Democrats keeping our promises. This is Democrats giving aid to people. This is Democrats spurring the economy. Um, those are all the pro- appropriate messages, and it's all true. Um, and so do they need to get into the weeds, explaining the minutia of where? No, <laughs> definitely not. That, and, no, and no Republican would ever do that either. And frankly, that's why Republicans often beat us on messaging, because Republicans don't do that kind of stuff. They just talk big picture. And it's politically far more advantageous. All right, Brand Hamachuk, you're our other conservative tonight. Your reaction to, uh, I think uh, she uh, she threw a bouquet to the Republicans inadvertently. Uh, do you accept it that, uh, you know, that they uh, they talk about the big picture, but not the nuts and bolts? Well, if I accepted a bouquet, that could probably get me in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> and by the way, thanks for having me back. Uh, Bruce so quickly. It's just been a few weeks. I feel like we're going steady. So it's nice to be here again. Uh, look, I'll, I'll be very clear about this bill. This bill is living proof that your politicians, your represent, run, representatives in Washington hate you. They hate you. This bill has nothing to do with helping people get through the, the COVID crisis. This is a wish list of big government spending. It is immoral, I would argue, on its face because we have just saddled future generations with having to pay for it. We can't pay for any of this. We're growing our money supply at a rate that is historically unparalleled. And so I don't think uh, there's much to explain here. I mean, but Brent, let me, let me ask you this. If you, if you're, if you're on unemployment and that unemployment is about to go away, 
uh, Congress has voted and they have said you're going to get an you're going to get three hundred dollars a week in in an uh, unemployment benefit and you're going to get it through September sixth. It's not going to end uh, you know next month. Isn't that isn't that good news if you're unemployed? I suppose it's good news if you're unemployed, but it's bad news if you're an American. Look, if the Congress had wanted, I know we're coming up against the break, if the Congress had wanted to help people through uh, the COVID crisis, they would have come up with very specific things related to the COVID crisis that immediately help people in the short term to get to the other side. That's not what this bill is. It's I want to come. I want to come back. I'm going to. I'm going to let you, uh, you know, elaborate more on that, and we'll hear from the Democrats as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. One eight hundred seven two three eighty two nine. That's the phone number. Looking for your calls. For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. The tween made you see. We are the boy. It's painful concert number three. We are the boy band. We're five and nineteen. We are the boy band. Always singing on key. You love your kids enough to take them to see their favorite uh, band. Love them enough to make sure they're buckled up in the back seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8029. Uh, for those that uh, may not have heard some of the specifics of the bill, let me just quickly uh, run through them. This is the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, $1,400 in direct payments, although uh, it's going to go to fewer people. They've lowered the uh, threshold. I think it's $75,000. If you make that, uh, you're eligible for the $1,400 a uh, one-time only direct to payment. There's $300 in weekly extension for unemployment benefits. That's going to go through September 6th, which we just referenced to the last caller. There's $46 billion in testing and contact training uh, concerning COVID. So there's a specific thing for COVID, $46 billion, $130 billion for schools, and that includes a further up, uh, upgrading of, of the classrooms for an environmental purposes. And again, keep in mind, there's already a lot of money. There's billions of dollars that have not been spent from the first stimulus package from last year. $350 billion, which is going to go to state, local, and tribal governments. And again, this is what the Democrats have been asking for for a long time. Republicans have opposed that because they didn't want to send money to state governments to uh, pay for you know poor uh, poor management of money, but they're getting $350 billion. And again, uh, there's also going to be a child tax credit. But again, the big news also, there will be no raise in the minimum wage. They thought they would get the $15 minimum wage in there, but they're not going to be getting that in there. Is that something to celebrate in your view, uh, Nick, that, that there's no $15 minimum wage in here? It's a small consolation, Bruce, uh, I would say, in this pork-laden monstrosity. I'm just, I'm wondering whether our progressive friends here think that there's any consequence whatsoever to having government spending that exceeds the GDP. Do you, 
Do you all think that's a good thing, a bad thing, Professor? What do you What do you think? I'm just curious. Sure, Nick. Well, you know, I've I've noticed the the Republicans have rediscovered fiscal responsibility after President Trump has left office. No, I you heard um, my comments so, earlier, Mark. I said yeah. that was I was concerned about that too. Yeah, and so so. Uh, you know, I agree with you that that did this bill need to be one point nine trillion dollars? Um, maybe not. Um, had had the the Republicans wanted to to put forward some you know good faith compromises that could have been reached, but you know I think in the end for not a single Republican to vote for this, it's a big political blunder on their part. It get, hands the Democrats a big win, and as Julia said, you know in the messaging game the Democrats are winning on this one because. Uh, for example, uh, your COBRA benefits, if you've lost your, your job and you need to maintain your health care coverage, that's now you're only paying 15% of your premium through September and maintaining your health insurance for your family. Um, $7.6 billion to community health centers, like where I live on the Chicago South Side, just a block away, there's a community health center. They've been giving out vaccines. They're taking care of health care in our community. $13.5 billion for the VA. Uh, to expanded care to our veterans. So there's a lot to be happy about in this bill, but I, I do agree, Nick, there has to be some kind of uh, look at, at the spending that's happening, certainly. Um, and, you know, we can parse this bill for a long time. There's 678 uh, pages. Uh, Julia, are you uh, worried about uh, the spending and uh, the level of spending that not only this bill, plus the one from last year, and maybe what might be coming next year? Uh, as, a, as a progressive, no. are you worried about the finance picture of this. No, not at all. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm no economist, um, but the majority of people in this country who are economists, including Janet Yellen, um, I have a resounding opinion that if anything, the bill is too small. So as a, I'm not an economist, I can't speak to the details, but the majority, of course, there are economists that feel the opposite, but the majority opinion among economists is we need to stimulate this economy. And I can acknowledge that there are big chunks of this uh, bill that are not directly COVID relief. Sure, that, that that's true. And so what? <laughs> it's all very well needed. It will all go to tremendously good use. It's going to stimulate the economy. And as far as the, um, the $15 minimum wage not being in there... I think that what we really need to do is we need to put in a, a federally based uh, man, uh, um, guaranteed employment. So at $15 an hour. So anybody at all who wants to get a job can go get a job from the federal government, $15 an hour. Um, and and uh, a whole cadre of economists have studied this particular plan for two years now. And with the most pessimistic outcomes, um, it will cost a mere $415 billion, create something like 15 million jobs and increase the GDP by, I think, $2 trillion. So, you know, what we need to be doing is paying people to work. That's what we need to do. And to the extent that, yeah, I, I mean, the big government is, certainly has its flaws, but spending money to help people okay. uh, have jobs and do good things in the world is what gets this economy going. All if right, we're concerned about the deficit, the number one thing we need okay. to do is, re is repeal that 2017 tax bill. Okay. Get well, rich that, people that, and companies to start paying more of their that, fair let's, share. Let's, and wanna, that would do a whole lot I, to I get this, go, balance, this budget go, back in balance. I want to go to Nick to respond. And we want to make it conversational. So if I call on you, uh, either keep talking or, or stop for a second. But Nick, I want to let you to respond. And then I've got another political question uh, for Brent. Go ahead. Well, I just, it's, I mean, how to put it kindly, it's a little absurd to think that the federal government should give a job to every single person. The federal government is large enough as it is. That's what the private sector is called, Julia. That's what we have a private sector for. 
And there That's are what already, the WPA was called, There are already millions of people who are employed by federal, state, local, municipal, county governments. Too many. They never get cut either. Private sector cuts back, not-for-profit sector cuts back. You never see a cutback in, in any meaningful way at any government level. So the idea that we should add however many tens of millions of people to the federal government employment range is just ludicrous. It's crazy. Brent, I want to go back to a political question because uh, uh, Mark was saying, you know, well, you know, there wasn't there weren't any Republicans on this was this was all Democrats. Why would that not be a positive thing for Democrats to go out and say, you know what, we did this for you. And you know what? The Republicans, the big, bad Republicans, they did nothing. They're giving you nothing. They can't take credit for anything because they, 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 there was not a single vote for it. Why, why is that not a big win for all Democrats and put Republicans on the defensive for the next two years? Why is, well, that, why is that such a great thing for Republicans uh, to, to walk around with that political albatross that they didn't do a damn thing for the, the public? Well, well, the idea that they didn't do what the Democrats did, meaning they didn't do anything, is sort of a, a non sequitur, right, in logic. But here's the problem we have. Could well, what did they pass? What was, the, what was their option? There, there, there was, they have no option, Bruce. They don't have the House or the Senate. There's nothing they can do. You know this. Right. They tried to put a few amendments on the bill. They weren't able to. They were yeah. rejected. Look, look, let's be clear. It could very well hurt Republicans. Because here's why. It has to do with what kind of a people are we? If Aesop were alive today and wrote his fables, the grasshopper would do better than the ant, because that's the world that we've created. So because we're a nation of people who have lost their self-reliance, who have lost their idea that they are primarily to be responsible for themselves, a bill that gives them things and spends money and takes from some and gives to others might very well be incredibly popular and it might really hurt Republicans for not supporting it. That's not good news for anybody. So, but yeah, isn't that the, much, but, but, well but Brent, Republicans. but Brent, isn't that the, the real world that we live in? It's, it's not the, it's not the world you would like. It may not be the world that I like. But the point is, it is the fact. It is the word we world we are living in that people do like goodies, and Republicans like some goodies too. Now they may well, be not. more responsible for it. I don't. I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. But you know, you you may think that. Bruce, this is this is way beyond. This is way beyond people liking goodies. Everybody likes goodies. I have some up in my pantry. Yeah. Goodies are great. This is about creating a culture of dependency so that people going forward will look to government and not to themselves, will look to their neighbor, not to their own home, for their very means of survival and expect that they are owed some form of satisfaction in life, some sort of minimum fill in the blank. Let's this ask our, I want to ask, I want to ask our Democrats. We'll start with you, uh, 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 Julia. Uh, do you think this is going to be a regular thing or every couple of years now that government's going to come up with with, you know, a couple of trillion dollars to uh, pass out to the uh, uh, to, to the public? I, I think that uh, uh, so, I, I, I don't know. We are we're in a period of um, massive transformation. Right. And I think that uh, 
a significant uh, percentage of how our government runs is going to bear no resemblance to its current state two years, four years, eight years from now. Um, I Are we going to be giving more away? Is that what um, you're saying? You think there's going to be more programs that are going to be taking uh, federal dollars and, and, and sending them out to the, to the masses? I mean, I think that we might be looking at decentralizing the federal government and okay. decreasing okay. the amount of federal tax and putting a great deal more authority in the hands of local, state, and other kinds of government entities. And, 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 and so I think that the, the extent of transformation is going to be massive. So I don't think that it's, I don't think that we can even answer that question. Mark, do you agree um, with that? Are going to change massively. Mark, do you agree with that? You know, I would say that uh, what, what I, what's most troubling to me, I do not, I do not agree with Brent that we, we self-reliance is dead in America. Um, all I see are, are hardworking Americans struggling to make ends meet. And as President Obama said, you know, it's great to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but first you got to have some bootstraps. And what you're seeing here is we've got, you know, a pandemic. 500,000 of our fellow Americans have passed away. That's disrupted families. It's disrupted economies. And we need to rebuild those relationships within the community. We need to rebuild the economic infrastructure. So I don't see this as a giveaway. I just see it, you know, a pandemic shouldn't be a profit sector. Poverty shouldn't be a profit sector. And okay, so, we've, got, um, we've got to pause. When we come back, we're going to take, uh, we've got a phone call. We're going to bring that phone call into the conversation. Then we're going to talk about Andrew Cuomo. He is in deep water and it's boiling hot. Back shortly. Opinions are everywhere when you watch the news. But what about your opinion? Why can't you just get the facts to decide for yourself? News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, a nightly newscast in primetime that doesn't tell you what to think. Seven nights a week, News Nation will deliver you news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. It's your news, your nation. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and we thank you very much for joining us. Our guest this evening, we've got four good ones, and we're going to let them introduce themselves right now, and we're going to start with Julia Klein, who's got her own podcast, and she is a, a podcaster and an author, and we'll tell you more about her, and she's going to do it right now. Julia, what's up? Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Julia Klein, and I am a sales and marketing strategist throughout most of my career. Yeah. Um, but I've always looked at that through the lens of power and how to avoid abusing one's power. And in the last four years, I have turned my attention towards abusive workplaces and with a focus on gender abuse, but there's abuse in a lot of ways. The podcast is called Solving Me Too, and the website is solvingmetoo.com. And I also do coaching and consulting with companies who seek to uh, heal their okay. toxic workplaces. Okay. When we come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to introduce our other guests, and then I want to come back and ask what advice you would give to Andrew Cuomo right now. Let's go to Brent Hamachek. Brent, tell us who you are. 
Well, I've been trying to figure out who I am for a long time, Bruce. I am the director of content at Human Events News. I'm the director of policy research at Middle Class Warriors, Jeff Webb's new organization. And I also have my own consulting practice for the last 21 years. You can find it at brenthamacek.com where I also publish pieces on my own. So I'm the luckiest guy in this program. I get to do a lot of different things with a lot of great people. Uh, Nick Com, he's a happy guy. I am a happy guy. Yes, uh, Bruce. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Nick Com. I'm the founder and president of a strategic communications firm called Reputation Partners. So we help uh, organizations, their leaders, uh, build and protect and rebuild their reputations. I'm also the vice chair of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Foundation. Uh, certainly thinking about the events of the last few months and where we are as a country today, uh, the lessons of Lincoln, even if you are one of those people who want to tear down the statues of him, are very much worth learning. And you're coming up, there's an event coming up with actor Gary Sinise uh, that you are honoring, uh, Gary, for all of his uh, philanthropic and, and humanitarian efforts. Tell us a little bit more about that. We are. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's another, it's a virtual event, of course, the way these are happening these days. This is our annual Lincoln Leadership Prize event. We've given it to all kinds of folks from Bill Clinton to George W. Bush to many other different folks, Neil deGrasse Tyson and others going back over the years, but it's coming up in April and I uh, encourage you to check it out at uh, alplf.org. Uh, and if you can contribute, it'd be wonderful if you did. And uh, we'll repeat that at the end of the broadcast this evening. Mark uh, Sello, you're a frequent guest on this program. Tell everybody what you do when you're not on the radio. Sure. Thanks, Bruce. I'm Mark Casello. I'm the Director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. I'm also the founder and president of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society. Uh, it celebrates the labor and social history associated with uh, the model town of Pullman and the Pullman Porters uh, in uh, Chicago. And there'll be a grand opening of a new visitor center in Pullman in, uh, on Labor Day 2021. So we're really looking forward to that. And this has been your, uh, this has been your primary outside work for what, a, a decade now or more more? Yeah, it's, it's certainly for the past seven years, uh -huh. uh, eight years. Okay, very mm -hmm. good. Uh, I mentioned we have a caller on the line. Let's go to that caller, and then uh, we're going to change subjects. Let's go to Dave in Washington State. Go ahead. Bruce, hey, first off, I just want to say I, the reason, one of the reasons I love your show is you have diversity of thought on there, and uh, I wish more stations would pick you up. Um, as far as like a, a fix for society, one of the main fixes that I could tell you we need is to get away from the echo chamber that everybody on both sides end up doing, you know, go to whatever site or whatever TV station you like. Yep. And one solution we would have for the, uh, for the society would be to get political affirmative action. You know, the kind of affirmative action we need right now uh -huh. is every TV station, every, you know, media, social yep. network, mm -hmm. you know, place, they all should be required to have a 60-40 split one way or the other, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Liberal, whatever, uh, because that's the only way you're going to avoid, you know, one directional thought. And I, I really appreciate you having two sides. Well, on. by the way, you know, it, it used to be like that, and that was called the Fairness Doctrine. And then uh, the FCC did away with the Fairness Doctrine, and uh, we've had the uh, the media climate that we've had for the last uh, 20 plus years. But uh, again, uh, uh, yep. thank you very much for saying what you said. Uh, it would be it would be nice to be on a, a larger number of radio and television stations but you know what we do have the internet now so if you've got a computer yeah. and you've got a radio 
Uh, you can basically find us, and you've got a phone. You can find us anywhere, beyondthebeltway.com. You can listen to us live. You can listen to us on delay. You can watch us on television. If if you're tired of what we look like, you could just listen to put you to sleep at night on our on our on our podcast. So again, we're here, and again, the concept of this program, and as you articulated, has always been beyond the Beltway. We we want we want a broad base. Uh, diverse opinion uh, that is shared each and every Sunday night. And uh, some of the people I know, I get emails and say, why on earth did you have that cockamamie guest on last night? Well, because there were people out there that liked that cockamamie guest. And that's uh, that's what I think public airwaves should be used for is stimulating thought. And uh, thank you for your comments. And now your, your question or, or additional comment tonight. Certainly, from the cockamamie caller. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to just highlight, I think Julia said she was from sales and marketing. And unfortunately, I believe sales and marketing, you know, they like to spend a lot of money, and she seems to like to spend a lot of money. Um, she mentioned that she thought that the tax uh, cuts was a terrible thing, you know, went to the rich, and I've heard this narrative many times. I'm going to repeat something I've said in the past. The if you, Percentages is all that matter. You don't have to look at numerical dollars you save. And if you look at one of the bottom brackets of the 15% bracket was reduced from 15% to 12%, that is a 20% reduction in your bracket level. If you look at the top three brackets, the prior top three brackets, they got reductions of 6.5, 0, and 3%. And for anybody having tough you know, trouble with numbers, those are all smaller than 20%, significantly smaller. So the biggest break went to the bottom brackets. Um, then another thing is some was mentioned about, well, no, the sales pitch doesn't need to change. For the Democrats, well, obviously, because they want to say as little as possible about this bill. And I keep hearing these polls about the majority of Americans, 70% of Americans want this bill. They like the bill. Well, when it's a bill that 90% of Americans don't know what's in it, and 70% of them like it because of the name and they know they're going to get money, that doesn't make it a great bill. Uh, And the fact that you have these polls of people who feel one way or another when what we talked about in the beginning, the way you feel about something is directly driven by what you watch. And when the majority of media is telling you, oh, this is something we should have and we need, why aren't the Republicans buying into it? Well, obviously, that's going to drive what the polling data you get is. It's, mm-hmm. it's a synchronous circle. Uh, so the, the idea of some of these things just drives me crazy. Uh, the $15 an hour thing, I heard today on a, one of the Sunday morning shows, uh, Manchin was bringing up that, well, you know, the poverty line is at $11 an hour. You need to make more than that. The problem is that he's taken an average across the nation. You can't use national averages to determine your minimum wage. If you're going to have a, a minimum wage, it should be determined by state localities and, and, and minor counties because it varies so wildly across the country, and you have to provide the opportunity for certain counties with higher cost of living to increase above the minimum wage. You can't make it too high because the higher you make it, the more jobs you cost because there are businesses that just cannot simply arbitrarily raise the amount of money they pay people just because they can. A lot of businesses are barely making it, and when you raise things like that, it's crazy. Okay. So I'll let you... Let me give uh, Julia uh, a mic- microphone here and let her respond to what you said. You've challenged her. Julia, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you for, I, I think most of your comment was directed at the comments I've said. So at least that's thought provoking what I've offered. Um, as far as uh, driving up the minimum wage, reducing jobs, that's just empirically false. The good news is that we've got years of history in a number of different communities around the country where there was all kinds of fear on the front end that it was going to harm businesses and uh, lose jobs. And then we raised the minimum wage and the opposite happened. So it's just empirically false argument at this point. Um, And as far as sales and marketing (laughs) being a reason I like to spend money, I mean, I I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about that. But uh, 
Thank you. Look at the University of Washington studies after Seattle raised the minimum wage. University of Washington, right there in Seattle, did studies, and they showed that businesses were cutting hours. People were actually turning out to lose overall money. It wasn't a game winner for them in Seattle. And you have to look at long-term impacts. And if you can't accept that every business in America can't just raise their minimum wage arbitrarily and not cost them jobs, you're just not looking at things logically. That's false. That, that study has actually been widely discredited, the one that you just cited. So, oh, University yeah, of Washington. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thank you very much for calling. Uh, give us a buzz Thanks, next Bruce. week. Always nice to hear from you. All right. You I, guys have a, have a great day. Will do. We're going to, before we take another call, I do want to switch. Uh, uh, I, I want to switch gears and talk about Andrew Cuomo, uh, who was uh, the darling of the media about a year ago when uh, COVID hit New York and he received an Emmy Award for his uh, uh, performance each and every day in his pr- press briefings. Uh, in recent weeks, he's uh, uh, not only been able to or forced into answering questions about his treatment of uh, senior citizens, those with COVID, uh, moving them out of hospitals and back into nursing homes, leading to their deaths. And that is the most, I think, the most egregious and most significant thing or charges uh, that put uh, Andrew Cuomo on defense at the moment. However, five women have come forward. They have accused him of uh, unwanted uh, sexual advances or sexual harassment. And uh, since this is a subject near and dear to you, and you mentioned, uh, Julia, that you actually counsel uh, businesses uh, on this particular subject, first of all, you're a card-carrying Democrat, but uh, I want to hear your reaction to what should happen to Andrew Cuomo based on what you've heard just in the news media. Uh, So first of all, uh, I'm actually an independent. I'm not a Democrat. Um, There are plenty of uh, people to criticize and things to criticize about the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to clarify that. Mm -hmm. I'm a progressive. I'm a liberal, but I'm not a Democrat. Um, As far as uh, and and, and, uh, to wit, um, I was never on the Andrew Cuomo train. (laughs) I always thought it was understandable, certainly, um, that he was providing leadership in an absence, uh, an utter vacuum of federal leadership during the uh, COVID crisis. But, I mean, he's got years and years and years of reasons to be not lauded. So I was never on the Andrew Cuomo train. Okay, stop for, <laughs> stop for, stop for one second because we are about to go to a break. That's what our music means. So uh, we, I, I stand corrected. You're not on the Andrew Cuomo train. Nobody's jumping on it right now, and we'll find out why when we come back. You should form your own opinions when you're presented facts without bias. That's what we call news. Every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, news has a new primetime home. News Nation, without all the talk and without an opinion, so you can make yours. It's not how it used to be, it's how it should be. News Nation, seven nights a week on WGN America. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com because it's your news, your nation. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
Westmont back in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. I'm Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border on America's great radio stations, on uh, F on Facebook Live, and also on YouTube and uh, Spotify and you name it, and we're there. And, again, it's nice to have you with us uh, this evening. We'll hear, take more calls in just a moment. But I want to come back and hear from Mark Casello. Mark, uh, I want you to weigh in on the uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, circumstances. And, uh, uh, first of all, would you acknowledge that the – the nursing home situation uh, is is far more important uh, than the other issue. Uh, certainly, uh, from a from a public uh, office standpoint, certainly. Um, but I, I don't think we can discount these other allegations. Right. Yeah. Um, and and um, you know, I'm very disappointed. I I don't know how Andrew Cuomo could have lived through you know multiple years of the Me Too movement. And still behave behave in such a reckless and, and careless and uh, hurtful way um, towards if these allegations are true, um, you know it's just it's shocking. And and I'd like to see the Democratic Party have some integrity and and, and condemn this if these you know as these allegations um, continue to unfold. Um, certainly, we've seen this in the past. Well, a lot of people there's... in New York are. I mean, a lot of Democrats right. in New York, including the Attorney General. I mean, she's not shying away from this issue. But the, the national party figures, President Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, Senator Warren, uh, Hillary Clinton. Isn't know, it hard voices. for Kamala Harris to come out and speak on this, given given her background and, and the rumors of her early political career? How does she how does she how is she a serious uh, talker on this issue? Well, I think she's in a leadership position and uh, oh. she should, uh, you know, as, a, as our female vice president. She has a, a strong voice in this conversation. Would you like her to exactly speak out, right. Julia? Bruce, what? Bruce, Mark is exactly right. And again, I'm surprised that, Julia, you're, you made your career out of Me Too and you can't, couldn't even bring yourself to criticize Andrew Cuomo. It's interesting. Well, I didn't give it a chance, actually, Nick. No, no, I, no, I, no, she was before the break. Right before the break. All right, let's again, go. It's, I wanna... just, it's, it's disappointing. And again, I think I kudos to Mark, who definitely has a different political persuasion than I do for saying what he did. Look, I think anytime, whether it's Republicans not criticizing fellow Republicans for these kind of transgressions, I'm talking about the both the nursing home cover-up and the predatory behavior towards women, all of it should be condemned by people of good faith from all over the aisle, okay. from across the aisle. I completely agree right. with Mark's point. Now let's go, let's go back to Julia. Again, let me remind everybody, it was right before the break, she was winding up and she was just getting ready <laughs> to take a big swing at his nose. And uh, we had to go for a break. So back to Julia and continue your, uh, uh, I, I thought it was going to be a, a rather severe denunciation of Andrew Cuomo. Um, no. Okay. Because, and I'll tell you why. Um, because for one thing, uh, he's not been accused of raping anybody. Okay. He's not been accused of violent sexual assault. So it okay. is in a separate category than some others. Okay. He is much more in a category like an Al Franken. My advice to Andrew Cuomo is to do two things and they have to be done simultaneously. And they're both meaningless unless he does them both. Okay. The number, okay. the first thing he needs to do is he needs to tell everybody in the media that he will no longer be speaking publicly on these allegations. And the second thing that he needs to do is he needs to commit to a minimum one-year process with a restorative justice practitioner, a mediator, whatever you want to call it, because this is a, an issue of uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, it needs to undergo a process of profound 
personal introspection and transformation to figure out why he behaves in a way that is unwelcome and hurtful to people. And that's a difficult process for any person to go through. And it's not fair or reasonable to expect him to go through that process in an authentic way while he is having to answer questions in the media every five days about it or every five minutes. Would that be, would that, but would that be satisfying to the five women who have made the allegations. So step number one in a restorative justice process is you center the harm, meaning uh, once he commits to the process for at least a year, step number one is to engage in a process with the people who have been harmed around what do they need in order to make it right. And this is a, it's, it's not something that is, that is, uh, that can be done glibly. It is a profound inner private, uh, transformative process. And for everybody involved to be able to go through it in an authentic, genuine way, it has to be given some protection of being not in the limelight. It has to be committed to on a private level. Do you think the media would give him that, uh, that, that, that circle of privacy, uh, Brent? Yeah. Uh, look, uh, first of all, restorative justice. Restorative for what? These are allegations that have been made. We have no proof of anything. And at some point in time, look, let's say something we're not supposed to say. The hashtag Me Too movement is what most movements are in America, whether they're uh, with a good sort of cause or not. It's essentially, it's a hate movement. It gives people an excuse to hate people. And so that's what we're seeing. And now it's turned its sights on Andrew Cuomo. And we say, well, gosh, how can that happen? He's been a supporter of all these different causes. That's because hate's a really difficult thing to control. So now it's turned its attention on him. And what's going to happen to him? I have no idea. So he's a tough guy. I'd call him a wise guy, but I would probably get in trouble. He's a tough guy. So we'll see. He's going to fight as much as he can. But the idea that we would sit here tonight and start to talk about what he should do when all we have are some allegations that haven't been substantiated. I didn't like when it was done to Brett Kavanaugh. I don't like when it's done to Andrew Cuomo. I don't like when it's done to anybody, even if they're my political enemy, because I know. When I come back, they're coming for us tomorrow. When we come back, I would like to hear from everybody, including Julia. I'd like to hear what advice you would give to young women, maybe in the political world, who may find themselves in a very similar circumstance. I'm sure we we have many of them that may be listening to the program this evening. I'd like to know from uh, Julia what they should do now if they have a similar situation than these five women that have come forward. I'm Bruce Dumont. We will be back for another full hour. We're also going to be opening up the phones. To the people in Texas telling us about opening up their state, Governor Greg Abbott has done it, and uh, we'll hear from people from Texas in our number two as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Another hour coming up on Beyond the Beltway. For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. 
Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win... We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back, and nice to have you with us. Malcolm Buck is listening to us in the great state of Maryland. Leslie Donahue is also watching, and Christine uh, Romady is also joining us this evening. And uh, we've got uh, Johnny in El Paso, Texas, who's tuning in, and he's got a question. But I want to ask you a question before you ask me. Uh, Johnny, uh, what do you ask for? You're from Texas, so I want to get your reaction to uh, Governor Abbott's decision to open up the state of Texas. Are you uh, supportive of that or not? Since we're on the radio, I'm going to be kind. Okay. <laughs> I think I think he is on another planet. On another planet? He is putting the whole country in Jeopardy. I put it like made the whole state rather. I can see a lot of things when we on radio. I'm not happy at all. I don't support what he's doing at all. Okay. And uh not talking politics, talking being human. Okay. He's gonna put next Wednesday he's gonna here here in my town, I don't think that a lot of a lot of the business leaders are gonna just stick with the program and not uh, mandate uh, the employees and themselves to wear masks because this thing is not over. Uh-huh. And so uh 
already helps and has changed their mind about doing it. And so, you know, we'll see. But no, I don't think he, I think he needs to be um, primary. I think he needs to be replaced. Do you also believe, do you also believe, or do you also blame him for the recent uh, weather and and electricity related issues in Texas? I don't know enough about that. I've been hearing about this Urquhart situation. I don't know, was he, because this happened roughly 10 years ago. You know, probably know about us in El Paso. We didn't get hit with that. You know, we were lucky enough to be with the Western grid. But anyway, I don't know enough about it, but I wouldn't be surprised that, uh, you know, a lot of them always, they have this attitude in Texas. I'm talking about the government that they don't want any any thing from the feds, but the minute something goes wrong, they have their hands out, you know. And mm-hmm. I noticed FEMA came down and right away helped us out, you know. But anyway, right. yeah, I could go my on other, and on, but I don't, I don't want to go ahead. My <laughs> other question to you before you ask me the question that you were going to ask, uh, El Paso obviously mm-hmm. is, is, is a border town, uh, with with uh, Mexico, and uh, my question to you is: the recent announced changes of the Biden administration, uh, as it relates to illegal immigration, uh, do you think that is going to, or has it already affected uh, life in El Paso? Not really. Uh, I may have told you in the past that I am a retired CBP officer. Uh-huh. So I was down there in the middle of it. You know, I, I worked. Of course, I've been retired quite a few years now, but I still have contact with my uh, peers, you know, my uh, uh, fellow employees, and we talk uh-huh. back and forth. And uh, but no, I'm looking at the human side of it. I, I don't think that, uh, I mean, I think that right now, Biden's doing the right thing. And then already, uh, uh, Albert is already lying, saying that uh, they're bringing the virus here into this country, which they are not. They've been checked and they've been tested, and then they're being released to family if possible, or being sent back. Now, but, but, but where, Johnny? People. Johnny, where where is this happening? Because obviously, uh, there are those that oppose it that say the people that are coming into the country should be checked for COVID. I have not read nor have I seen any evidence that there are places where people are actually being tested before they are brought into the United States or put into some sort of a incarcerated area down there waiting further processing. So are, are you telling me and telling the audience that there is a, there is a medical uh, official that is checking everybody coming into the country? Uh, uh, certainly we can't say that everyone that's coming in illegally is being treated, but if they're coming through uh, the central input areas, uh, are you saying they are being tested there? It is my understanding. Again, as I told you earlier, I'm out of the loop now. Okay. I don't. I don't uh, check in, but I'm just going by hearsay and by what I think and what I believe that those who come through the uh, port of entry. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. He was talking about this wall business. Right. People coming to this country illegal on airplanes and right. cruise ships and you name whatever, nothing sort. But I'm thinking that those that have have been, matter of fact, a lot of them are looking for officers to uh, take them in and to process them because they want to be brought in right. But now the ones who are coming in illegally, I don't know. But the ones who are coming through the ports, as I understand, they are being checked, being tested before they are released out in the community. That's what I'm hearing myself. Mark Costello, are, are you hearing that through your 
progressive, uh, you know, literary sources that uh, the, the the fear that those coming from uh, South America or Central America uh, are being uh, medically, uh, at least there is some medical intervention before they are allowed in the United States? Um, like you, I have not seen written confirmation of that, but I, I would assume, given our, our, I would hope that, that those protocols are in place. Um, Nick, Nick, Com, what about you? I mean, this this is this is one of those issues that uh, you know is likely to keep uh, you know illegal immigration on the on the front burner of American politics for the next couple of years. Well, I think the idea of whether or not they've been vaccinated or have been tested to be COVID free is the least of the concerns. I mean, it's basically the the surge that we've seen in unaccompanied minors, exactly contradicting both Trump and Obama policies. I think is a much bigger issue. And again, you know, apparently fences don't work unless they're around the capital against some specious right wing threat. But why would they why would that be the least concern if if people from Central America are coming to the country and they're not being tested by by our medical of officials? Why would that I, I would think that would be one of the main concerns? It, well, look, we're we are vaccinating people like crazy. The cases are stabilizing. We're heading towards that dreaded term that we weren't allowed to use for the longest time, but now can, and that's herd immunity. Yeah. Again, I, I'm not totally dismissing the issue of whether or not they're being tested or not, but there's plenty of people in this country who haven't been tested. And then, frankly, if you're not, if you don't have symptoms, most people who don't have symptoms these days aren't getting tested themselves. Julia, if people so, are coming into this country uh, illegally, uh, or, or legally or illegally. Should they be tested in some way by uh, U.S. Uh, medical uh, facilities, at facilities? We're, we're definitely getting a handle on the COVID crisis. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to respond uh, without being condescending to what Nick just said about herd immunity. I feel like asking, come on, you know the answer to the question of why herd immunity is different when we're uh, approaching it with vaccination versus by just letting everybody get sick. I mean, I don't know how to not be condescending when you say something that's so, you know, uh, apparently non-attentive to the facts of this, the science here. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, of course, we need to be careful with COVID. And I think that Biden is, Biden, the Biden-Harris administration is being as careful as they can. And that's why some of these facilities are getting reopened. And, you know, it's, it's not awesome, but I'm not ready to criticize what the Biden-Harris administration is doing yet. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, we obviously, we definitely need to address immigration in this country. We need to uh, amend our current immigration laws. Uh, it, I mean, we we got 50 or 59 votes in the Senate in 2012, I think was the year uh, when we tried to get DACA passed. 59 votes. We damn near got bipartisan support for DACA. So, you know, I mean, let's let's get that over the finish line. Let's make it happen in a humane way. Right. And let's stop having these fights that we don't have to have. Got to pause. 1-800-723-8289. More from Texas when we come back. 
For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. Your tween made you see. We are the boy It's painful concert number three. We are the boy band. We're five and nineteen. We are the boy band. Always singing on key. You love your kids enough to take them to see their favorite uh, band. Love them enough to make sure they're buckled up in the back seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. And uh, I have asked for people who live in the great state of Texas to call us and let us know what they think about uh, Governor Abbott and his decision to open up the state. Uh, you know, when when Republican governors do things like opening up a state and uh, uh, ending mask mandates, you can you can bet your neck that not only will Democrats be upset with it, but the national news media will be upset with it, and they will they will go after every Republican governor uh, and, and, and beat the hell out of them uh, because they're doing something a little bit different than what uh, the federal government wants. Uh, Bob is listening to us in Houston, Texas. Bob, thanks for uh, joining us on Beyond the Beltway. You're a longtime listener. Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, my question to you is, uh, are you happy or sad with uh, what uh, Governor Abbott is doing in your state? Bruce, thanks for having me on tonight. And uh, actually, I'm I'm very happy with what Governor Abbott has decided to do to uh, relieve the uh, mask mandate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and uh, a lot of Texans are looking forward to it. I know I am as a live music fan. My friends and I are looking forward to getting back out and enjoying live music again. Now, everybody is saying, uh, not everybody, but at least uh, the, the, the D.C. pundits are saying uh, they had all of the uh, experts on this morning uh, saying how horrible it was, what a bad idea it was, a reckless idea. Obviously, uh, the president referred to it as Neanderthal thinking. And, uh, I mean, the national media was pouring all over uh, Governor Abbott and the other governors who've uh, uh, made these decisions and uh, suggesting that, that, that people might be uh, just irresponsible down there in Texas. Well, Bruce, we have a saying down here in Texas that uh, goes like this. Uh, those those people saying all those negative things are all hat and no cattle. In other words, uh, they don't know what's going on down here in Texas. And the people of Texas, uh, for the most part, we've always have been very independent. But at the same time, we've been very uh, self-reliant and self-sufficient. And uh, we we help each other in times of crises like this. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to the mask uh, mandate to be lifted, uh, effective on Wednesday. And to be honest with you, uh, a lot of us wearing masks the past year has not really affected the way Texans have gone about and lived their lives. Uh, mm-hmm. In March, uh, Houston was pretty much a ghost town, as was Austin. And I, I travel back and forth from Austin and Houston an awful lot. And... Uh, 
by May and June, things were pretty much getting back to normal. More people were still working at mm-hmm. home. But as far as going out to restaurants when they were open, going out to other places that were open, we all followed the social uh, distancing uh, guidelines. We all wear our, wore our masks. And we all did what we should be doing in times during a pandemic. Will you be doing but, that later this week? I mean, when the when the mask oh, mandate is lifted, what what are what are you personally going to be doing? Uh, I I'm going to be doing pretty much more of the same that I've been doing all year long. Uh, I'm a caregiver, and so my, my dad lives in assisted living. So I've I've taken uh, a very cautious mm-hmm. uh, personal uh, take on this whole thing because. Right. Uh, I'm not necessarily worried about myself getting sick, but I don't want to bring anything to my father or anyone in his community or any of his caregivers. So I take a very, uh, I've taken a very cautious uh, take on this all year long. Now, uh, when I go out and do exercise in the parks, uh, I don't wear a mask. There are plenty of people out there riding bikes, running, walking, wearing masks while they're exercising. I choose not to do that. And uh, I don't wear a mask when I'm driving by myself in the car. Uh, if I have to take a ride share, yes, I will wear a mask. But I, I, come Wednesday, I'll be doing pretty much what I usually do. Um, and, and that's just taking a cautious uh, uh, what opinion is the, about it. What is the situation? Is, is, as I recall uh, reading recently, Texas is one of the uh, lowest states in the union insofar as the distribution of the uh, uh, coronavirus vaccines. Why does it appear to be taking so long in Texas, if, if, if indeed you believe that? Well, Bruce, I, I can only talk from a little, uh, my personal experience with sure. that. Right. Uh, as I mentioned, my father lives in assisted living. Yeah, but all, everyone in his community has been vaccinated. All right. So mm-hmm. everyone in his, all the residents and staff members and caregivers of his community have have all received their second dose. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, am a little lower down the the totem pole as far as eligibility is concerned because we're still doing uh, the first responders and people like that as well, you know, healthcare workers as well as people over sixty five. However, this is the one thing that surprised me last week. I got a text from uh, Methodist Hospital telling me that I am now eligible to receive my vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I'm nowhere near age 65, and I don't have any kind of pre-existing conditions that would make me eligible. But what they're doing is that, um, and this can be verified on Harris County's website, where I reside in Houston, mm-hmm. Harris County, um, that they are servicing, if you have a relationship with a hospital, mm-hmm. which I do, I, I have I've been a patient of Methodist. My, my general practitioner mm-hmm. is affiliated with Methodist Hospital. So I got the notification from Methodist by text, and it's an individual link uh, only for me. I can't share it. Uh, that is allowing me to be able to take advantage of getting my vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I... I don't know what really has why all this negativity and why people are saying that we're we're lower on the list because I know a lot of people uh, that have received their vaccines and now that uh, I'm in gener- Generation X, a lot of my mm-hmm. Gen Xer friends are also now getting notified that oh. it's their turn to take the vaccine. Bob, I want to I want to thank you for your call and, and the input on that, but I I want to bring you into the conversation we were having in the last segment. Uh, and ask you to weigh in if if you if you care to, 
And I want to bring it back to Julia Klein, who's with us, because uh, before the break, I asked oh, her. Good. Hi, Julia. And, and she is, uh, uh, she, she, uh, one of the things that she does is she offers advice uh, to young people who are entering uh, the, the work market and gives them advice and counsels, I guess, companies as well as to how they should operate uh, in the in the Me Too era. And I and I asked her if she would be giving some advice to young women who might be listening to the program this evening, uh, as well as their bosses. I mean, what's what's fair game now and what is absolutely verboten, uh, Julia? And I asked that question to you, knowing that Bob comes out of the business community and uh, I'm not accusing him of anything, but I'm sure uh, if he's in the business community in the state of Texas, uh, he might have he might have heard of uh, or seen uh, action, actions that uh, were okay with him or no big deal to him that probably might cause you to pull some of your hair out. So your reaction? Well, everybody in workplaces uh, needs to recognize their um, the 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 places of privilege and places of power that they stand in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have privilege as a white person. Um, for the other four of you have privilege both as white people and as men. All of us have privilege as being able-bodied. We all have privilege as being native English speakers. And each category that gives us a power and a privilege um, means that we, relative to others who lack that element of power, element of privilege, um, it means that that person who lacks that power and privilege can sometimes feel blown over or disregarded or not heard by, uh, by us. And so everybody in workplaces, um, and it's especially straight, white, Christian, able-bodied men, but it's not exclusively because they occupy the most categories of privilege, need to acknowledge that the ways that they used to behave um, have very likely never been okay with a whole lot of people. And so Cuomo, for example, uh, Andrew Cuomo talks about, you know, he's gotten a lot of criticism over this photograph of his two hands on the woman's face Mm -hmm. as he's about to kiss her. And his defense of that is, there's photographs of me doing that to all kinds of people for all kinds of years. That's not a defense, Andy. (laughs) That's not okay. That's never been okay. And what needs to happen is that everybody needs to acknowledge that the ways that we have always operated have probably been unintentionally, sometimes not, but very often unintentionally hurting others, making others feel discounted, making others feel excluded. And it's on those of us who have elements of power and privilege to examine ourselves and to restrict our behavior and say, what might I be doing or saying or assuming or taking for granted that is in some way disadvantaging someone else who is not like me? Right, Julia, let me, let, me, let, me, let me ask a question. And then I, I want other, I want our other guests to sort of weigh in with the specific question for, for Julia as well on this subject. Okay. Julia, I'm, I'm uh, 76 uh, years old. Okay. I'm going to be 77 in a couple of months. I'm 76. I'm a grandfather. I have four grandchildren. Uh, is Congratulations. It, thank you. Is it okay for me if if a woman walks down the street or is having serving me lunch or whatever, is it okay for me to, to uh, call attention to how attractive I think either her clothes are? I probably wouldn't say it about her, but I might say it about something that she's wearing. Does that make me a a chauvinist pig or what? 
the best way for you to self-examine that question in yeah. every instance is ask yourself, if that person was male, would I say the same thing? Yeah. If that person was unattractive to me, would I make the same comment? If the answer is no, I'm saying it because, frankly, I think she's kind of hot, then no, it's not appropriate. And you should keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's the answer. Are, are attractive people then second-class citizens now in the workplace? I, do, I think I, it's like a non sequitur. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, when we come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate on that. I also, uh, again, I'm going to include you, Bob, if you have a question of this, because you've, you've been in the workplace uh, a lot in, in the last 20 years of your life. Uh, Mark, you've got a faculty uh, friends to deal with, so we'll come back and talk about it. Don't go away. Opinions are everywhere when you watch the news. But what about your opinion? Why can't you just get the facts to decide for yourself? News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, a nightly newscast in primetime that doesn't tell you what to think. Seven nights a week, News Nation will deliver you news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. It's your news, your nation. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. Mark Casello is here. Uh, he is a professor of English at the Calumet College of St. Joseph. That is in Michigan. Nick Calm is the executive with his own firm called Reputation Partners. Uh, Julia Klein is a progressive author and also has her own uh, website. Uh, not, not website. She has a website, but again, uh, her own uh, podcast. And uh, that's me too. Give give us the uh, the name of the podcast again. Me too. The problem. The podcast is called Solving Me Too, and the solving, website is the same. Solving Me Too. Solving and, uh, Me Too. Brent Hambachek joins us. He is with Human Events Magazine, and uh, we've got a caller on the line, Bob from uh, Houston. And uh, before the break, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, uh, Mark, and I wanna I wanna ask you based on I mean I admitted some things about myself and ask the question of what's what's proper and what's not proper in this day and age. Is there anything that uh, you have questions about uh, as to what uh, you might be able to say and, and whether or not women would view that in, in some way as being uh, uh, an assault of some kind, a verbal assault? Turn your, turn your uh, computer on. You can't admit anything Sorry if you don't that, turn your computer on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Plausible deniability. Yes. Uh, you know, prior to being in higher education, I was in the business world. And, um, you know, in my interactions, what I've always tried to do, and hopefully this aligns with uh, sort of what Julie is describing, is begin with respect for the individual. But uh, certainly, you know, from the time I was a young man to today, values have changed. And even as a, a professor in the classroom, there's, there's a vigorous and ongoing discussion about treatment of gender identity, respect for assault survivors, um, sensitivity to students' uh, situations um, that, that just weren't in the conversation even when I started teaching 
back in the early 2000s uh, in higher education. So um, uh, to answer your question, um, you know, or to throw it to Julia, you know, um, sort of uh, what about language of, of group categorization? I know that a lot of times in business, you know, people say, okay, guys, we're going to do this. And, and you've got that kind of uh, gendered language. Um, do you have any recommendations uh, for professors or business people about how to avoid that kind of communication? Yeah, that's tough. And I, I, I'm guilty of it sometimes myself. You know, I often, you know, I use the phrase ladies. I, I, I network with and am friends with lots of groups of women. And I often say, I refer to folks as ladies. And I've received the feedback, especially from younger women, that they find that to be pejorative. And so I've taken in that feedback. And I'll say also, Bruce, to, to your earlier question about, you know, making a comment or touching, it's, it's mm -hmm. certainly not exclusively men. Um, I, a couple of years ago, uh, I'm somebody who's, who says, oh, I'm a hugger. And then I'll give someone a hug. And a male friend of mine a couple of years ago said, yeah, you know what? You never wait to, like, I'm not a hugger. And that's kind of not okay with me. And I thought, oh, okay. And it doesn't make me a bad person. Right. It doesn't make me an evil monster. It just means that I, I, it sort of like gave me like a new thing. Like mm -hmm. I kind of didn't realize that some people don't like to be hugged, even though I think it's terrific. Right. And it, and now since then, I've just sort of had a mental note. Don't lunge in for the hug. And that's what we're asking everybody to do. And I, I see Brent shaking his head with disgust over there. And I don't know if I even want to invite the, what the, what the, what it might be. Cause I certainly don't want to fight because you and I have friends from way back and, you know, I know that you are, you're a good person. Um, but I, I so I, I'm, I'm, I'm baffled <laughs> at well, how. Let's go to my, um, why are you shaking your head, Brent? I'm, I'm baffled. Look, uh, <laughs> this conversation to me, is, I mean, I don't have any questions to ask because frankly, uh, the topic is almost offensive. I'll tell you why. We've had a great debate within religion for thousands of years about whether or not sin lies in thought or in deed. Well, what we're attempting to do today is to say that sin lies not in thought or deed, but in implied or attributed thought. Oh. Or deed. Well, that got Jimmy Carter in trouble. He, it, he it, lusted it, after women. Look, no. we're, <laughs> we're saying that somehow or other, just because of who I am, I'm inherently privileged. I have inherent signs of racism, all of this. Frankly, I think it's offensive. I think it's garbage. I don't buy any of it. I won't accept it. I think it's morally wrong. Uh, it is it is not the way I raised uh, my children to think or see the world. Uh, if this country is so horribly racist, we have a lot of questions to answer. Why do Asian Americans do better than white Americans? Why do Indian Americans do better than white Americans? No, but we're dealing with, we're Nigerians dealing with gender. We're dealing with gender issues right now. What uh, I, I want to go I want to go to I want to go to Nick because we're t we're talking about gender at the moment. And my question to you, Nick, is because you work in the professional I white field. Privilege, All right, well, uh, I want I, well, yes, white privilege is, is is certainly part of the discussion. But I want to go to Nick because you you also work in the professional field. Uh, you're supposed to help improve people's reputation. Uh, uh, I'm I'm not going to ask you what you would suggest to Andrew Cuomo right now. But again, what would you say to a client of yours? that uh, has been the recipient of a, uh, of a, of a Me Too attack uh, that has gone viral? What do, you, what do you say to them? Well, it really depends on the circumstance, yeah. I would say, you know, and to bring it back to Andrew Cuomo, I mean, I think 
you know, just with somebody like him, I think the smart thing for him to do would be to take a temporary leave of absence, you know, because this is going to continue. More women are going to come out of the woodwork. Even in his own rather pathetic defense, he said, I've kissed hundreds of women and some men too. So right. it's basically now we're going to get a parade of other people who've been made to feel uncomfortable, far more so, Bruce, than your example of complimenting the waitress on her outfit or if she's wearing some jewelry or something like that, what Cuomo has basically admitted to, this is the part that's so galling to me, he had first chalked it up to mentoring and to being a friend to the employees and then saying that he's done this hundreds of times. He's admitted it. Mm -hmm. And then he's just going to go, I'm not going to step aside. I'm not going Mm -hmm. anywhere. If you've done something like this, if it's clearly a transgression, as it has been in his case, you can't just keep powering on and expect it's going to go away. Now, it is a different thing because he's a Democrat. If this, if he were a Republican, the media and the Democrats would be all over him, to Mark's excellent point in the first hour. National politicians on the Democratic side of the aisle have been largely very silent on this thing, so they've given him a pass. Bob Meehan, I, I want to go I want to go to, back to Bob Meehan. I want to just see if he wants to weigh in, then I know he's got to move on. But, uh, Bob, is there anything that you've heard in this discussion that— reminds you of circumstances that you've encountered uh, in the in the business uh, community that you've operated in for much of the last 25, 30 years? Oh, mo- most certainly, Bruce. And, uh, Julie, you, you brought up some very interesting points about the whole Me Too uh, argument. And uh, I- I'm really kind of perplexed by the whole thing, having been in um, – I, I, I had my career in sports and entertainment marketing and uh, you, know, you know sponsorship and, and fundraising for those events and you know encountering so many different people uh, throughout that industry and whether it's sports music or if it's in the corporate side uh, with corporations doing sponsorships, I've had so many as, as a man, okay I had so many me too moments with uh, women and with men. And to me, I find it rather kind of laughable at times, because if I were really to come forward as a man, you know, that time in my 30s, 40s or 50s, uh, saying that so-and-so female uh, harassed me in such and such a way, I'd be laughed at, okay? Even even so, um, I'll throw this out there too, is that um, you know, as an openly gay man and, and involved in the LGBT community, uh, uh, work-wise and um, uh, philanthropically with, with, with charities that I support and serve on boards for, uh, I, I've had plenty of Me Too moments with, with men. And the, it, it, I find it kind of ridiculous because uh, some of these men are married with children. Uh, some of these men were in very big positions of power, whether um, uh, political people or if they were um, in other other industries where they have some type of a power like uh, the legal profession or in the music industry or in the sports industry. So do you think you know, when, do, you think your, doing, do you think your situation is unique, Bob, because you've been operating in Texas? Is there a higher level of acceptance in Texas because of the macho image of the state and cowboys and everything else? Uh, I, I wouldn't go say I wouldn't go 
that far and kind of – I wouldn't bring in any type of that so-called hyper-masculinity argument mm-hmm. into it. Uh, I think I think that Texas, Texans have more of a uh, live and let live attitude towards a lot of things. And, you know, we, we get a bad rap for, um, you know, being rednecks and, 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 you know, rather intolerant type of people. But that's not necessarily true. Texans are, are very uh, the quite the opposite of that. And uh, if you get to know a lot of us, then you'll you'll definitely experience that. Uh, in the work world, most of my experiences were from people who don't live in Texas. So if I'm dealing with if I'm dealing with uh, uh, people from the sports industry and music industry, these are people from L.A., New York, Nashville. Okay, sporting is the same way. All right, these are people outside of Texas. Some of the political issues are, you know, some of the politicians I've encountered that that had uh, my little Me Too moments with. Um, some were Texas politicians. Others were on a uh, national scale. Mm. So it, it just runs the gamut. And what it comes down to is, you know, Bruce, you know me. I'm a diehard deadhead, uh, Texas deadhead here. And in the deadhead community, uh, following Grateful Dead, we have a saying called Be Kind. And it's just basically a simplified version of the, of the golden rule as we go down the golden road. We've got to say goodbye because we're out of town. Uh, deadhead, right. you're deadhead down the dead road. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. You should form your own opinions when you're presented facts without bias. That's what we call news. Every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, news has a new primetime home. News Nation, without all the talk and without an opinion, so you can make yours. It's not how it used to be, it's how it should be. News Nation, seven nights a week on WGN America. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com because it's your news, your nation. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, three months from now, Brent Hamachek, will Andrew Cuomo still be the governor of New York, in your opinion? Wow, it's a great it's a great question. And so now I turn into what appears to be a coward. I'm just being honest. I have no idea, and I have no idea for the reasons I said earlier, and that is there's no way to predict how strong this will get how virulent the the hatred around it will get. And there's no way to predict just how hard he'll fight. He's not a typical character. So he's not likely to go quietly into the night. And when you put these two things together, this gathering storm around him with his personality, what's the old irresistible force and immovable object? I have no prediction it's going to be fun to watch. Nick Com, you have been in some very tight public relations uh, messes over your career. Uh, your job is to get people out of those messes. In three months, will Andrew Cuomo still be governor of New York? I think it depends on how deep the cover-up on the nursing home deaths is. I think if anything is going to drive him from office, it's going to be that. And even the possibility if there's an indictment there for 
obstruction of justice or some other appropriate federal level crime. Does moving fast, does moving fast on, on that issue, on the nursing home issue, does that, by by moving fast on that, does it erase the other issue? If that gains any more traction, I think that's what's going to drive him from office, not the sexual harassment uh, activities that he's apparently guilty of. Mark Casello, will he be in office three months from now? Yeah, it's difficult to say. I, I was looking at their web, the governor's website, and I noticed there's just a, some crisis communication pushing out new policies, putting the attention on governance. Um, so, so I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot of information not yet known, but I, like like uh, Nick said, I think it's the the COVID related uh, cover up that's really the threat. Um, Julia, he is not likely to get uh, any extended period of time to go and have that introspection that you have recommended earlier in the program, which may be good for him personally, but politically, will he still be a viable governor three months from now? I think it comes down to the politics of who his replacement would be. If we remember, um, Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, was accused, uh, was found to be accused of wearing blackface a few years ago, and there was a big call for him to resign. And in that situation, had he resigned, his uh, second in command, Justin Fairfax, I believe is the man's name, would have elevated to governor. But it was uh, discovered immediately in that, in the wake of that, that Justin Fairfax had been accused by multiple women of sexual assault. So the Democratic Party was like, oh, shit. Uh, we oh, pardon oh, my no. language. Oh shoot! Uh, you know we go from gar- from Northam to Fairfax. We go from blackface to sexual assault. This is not a step in the right direction. So the Democratic Party just decided to you know take their lumps and ride it out with Northam. And also he stuck his you know he stuck in his heels. You know and I, and I wanted to respond to Nick saying earlier. I, I don't think that it's fair to say that the Democratic Party's response to Cuomo is purely partisan. I think we have to acknowledge that you know back in Franken's day the Democratic Party went after him with ferocity. And we've had a whole bunch of experiences since then. And I don't think that the that people in general responding a little bit less ferociously to Cuomo, I don't think that's a bad development. I don't think that I don't I, I think it's doing it at a disservice. Tell that to, to Brett Kavanaugh and his family, Julia. Tell that to Brett Kavanaugh and his family. That's one of the experiences that we have all had. Right. Um, so that I, I think that. Uh, Anyway, for the for, for someone watching this story from afar, which is the vast majority of people watching the program and listening this evening, uh, how much um, how important is it that one of the women who made the charge, one of the early women who made the charge, is running for political office now? Does that give her story uh, more credence or less credence, in your view, Julia? Neither. I mean, the, what, what gives us credence, you know, Brent said earlier, there's no evidence of any of this. And that's just so false. I mean, first of all, we have the uh, the sworn testimony of five different women. That is evidence. Now, that's not infallible evidence. But if it was a court of law, which this is not, which is an important distinction, that would all be entered into evidence. The women's statements is evidence. And also the fact that all five of them have said that he did things very similar. That is also uh, tends to corroborate the credibility and the truth truthfulness of what they're saying. You know, there were other men on the Me Too hit list who, for example, pleasured themselves into a plant 
And that was the allegation from numerous women. And so men have MOs when they behave this way. And so the fact that all of these women are coming out with the same basic, he asked me about my dating life. He put his hand on the small of my back. The fact that all of the women are saying the same things tends to corroborate all of them. And one of them, uh, the second accuser, Charlotte uh, Bennett, actually told her boss, Cuomo's chief of staff, less than a week after it happened, and she was transferred. So that also is strongly corroborating the, uh, the, if, the credibility and the truthfulness of her allegation. If someone is listening, if a young woman is listening to the program this evening and is going into the world of politics, uh, my, my, what advice would you give her if she finds herself in a similar circumstance? Because that circumstance is something that I, I would think you would probably agree is, is fairly prevalent in the world of politics. It's prevalent in all worlds. I don't think that it's more in politics. It's across everything. But number one, you need to have an arsenal of succinct statements like stop it or that's inappropriate. You know, be able to be able to use your words. Women have a responsibility to use their words. Second, um, if anything ever happens, write it down, email it to yourself, tell somebody, don't stay silent. Because the fact that these women, in many cases, have told somebody um, at the same time is significantly corroborating of the truthfulness of their story. Um, The third thing is just be really firm in your boundaries and know your value and understand that you don't, you know, and, and if it's happening to you, it's happening to a lot of people around you. So open your mouth, talk to people, don't be afraid, you know? Say no. Don't. Say no and say, say no and say it frequently and loudly. That too. But on that note, uh, Julia Klein, thank you very much. Give us the name of your uh, website and your uh, podcast again. The podcast is called Solving Me Too. And the website is solvingmetoo.com. Okay, thanks very much, Brett. Brett uh, I almost said Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Brett Hamachek, thank you very much for joining us for Human Events Magazine. Nick Cobb, thank you very much for Reputation Partners. And again, Mark Casello, thank you very much for joining us as well. Our thanks also to Connor McKnight, our producer who made this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. 
I am a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.